This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> all right. Hey, guys. Welcome back for the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We've got a pretty juicy episode for you today. Yep. We were delayed due to travel, but that worked out because not only do we have a metagame breakdown from this weekend's events and the financial implications, but Hasbro made a pretty big announcement today about the toy shop that we're going to be getting to as well. And if we have time, we're actually going to be covering a little bit of graded cards. It's going to be a little bit of a series we're going to do through the holidays mm -hmm. during the slow time. So to kick us off, Reptar, what do we have from Star City? So Star City, we had the All Phoenix Finals where... Phoenix won the event. We had, I guess, what one could call the standard take on Is It Phoenix being Ross Merriam, who took down the event. He he played this, I think it was very similar, maybe 71 to 75, that he played in Vegas against yeah. a mono-red Phoenix deck, which basically took some of the faster elements of Burn, so Lava Spike, Bolt, Eidolon of the Great Rebel, and smashed in the red portion of the Mardu Pyromancer deck, minus Pyromancer, so that would be Faithless Looting, Bedlam Reveler, and Phoenix. And we got to see those decks slog it out in the finals. And on the way there, we also had Brad Nelson on Jeskai Control, Seth Manfield on, I believe, also Jeskai Control. Yeah. And just kind of a smattering of decks across the field. One of the big things going to day two was that Bad Spirits was 10% of the day two metagame, and I believe didn't convert to the top eight. This one I'm going to check, because I'm not 100%. No, I don't think it did, no. It might no, actually it may have had... Yeah, it did not. Okay. Did not. Uh, Ironworks, 2 just got control, Jund, and Grixis Death Shadows, basically the other decks. Yeah. And it was Jeffrey Carr who played the Mono Red Phoenix deck. Then over in Japan, we had GP Shizuoka, in standard, we had four Golgari mid-range in the top eight. They all ran between two and three copies of Midnight Reaper in the main, which we called we out talked about several previously. weeks ago. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there was a fair mix of Planeswalkers throughout all four of those decks. They all ran two Vivian Reeds and one of the four CMC Vraska. The third deck ran those three walkers with a six CMC Vraska, and then the fourth deck ran two Karns on top of the two Vivians and the one, the one four CMC Vraska. We had a Jeskai Control, which was kind of a more classic build, meaning that it was heavier on blue-white. There was very little red, so this wasn't a Turbo, Nib-Mizzet, Adrian Sullivan style, so no treasure map in this. Yeah. But still ran, uh, I believe, Max Niv Mizzet. Two Selesnia tokens, which was surprising to me. I kind of thought that archetype was DOA. Yeah. And, and it made the finals. Yes, it did. And one Boros aggro deck that played three Ajani Adversary of Tyrants in the main. So this deck is similar to what we saw coming out of the Pro Tour, but it sits somewhere between the White Weenie Boros aggro ver uh, version of the deck and the Boros Angels deck that we saw. The finals was Golgari Midrange versus Selesnia Tokens, and Tokens took down the event, correct? 
No, Golgari. Golgari took On it On the back of Fine Finality. That's right. Fine Finality won the game. Yeah. And then... Turns out, card's good against weenies. Yeah, right. Fine Fun... A board wipe. Who... Who knew? Yeah. And then in Legacy, we had kind of a snapshot of the format. Prior to the Gitpro ban, we had a traditional lands deck. We had yep. a blue-white Delver deck, which we have not seen in a while. When I read through the list, it actually looked like it eschewed standstill for true ne nemesis, but was very yeah. much a uh, kind of low to the ground, just Stoneforge Mystic up equipment, put it on guy's deck. Yeah. We had Grixis Delver. It was mislabeled as Blue Red Delver. Blue Red, yeah. Yeah, it's very clearly Grixis. There's Gromag Angler Gromag in the creature Angler. section and Underground Sea <laughs> in the land base. Don't be fooled by yeah. that. Mono Red Prison, which is a deck that crops up every now and again, and they were running. Just, you know, to prove it was prison, they had the Trinisphere in the main. Yeah. The Trinispheres. We had Blue-White Stoneblade with Tefri, which is surprising, in the main. And then Eldrazi Stompy, which is kind of a callback to the format. You know, two years ago, Eldrazi Stompy kind of fell off in paper. It's been all right on Modo. Yeah, uh, it's putting up 5 O's still. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. One thing I was surprised about is generally uh, legacy GPs in Japan pull European players over to them, so we usually see combo, and not in the form of sneak and show, but hard combo like Storm. And yeah. I didn't hear anything about any Euro many Europeans going over. I didn't really see any Storm in the reports. No. And from all these events, we've definitely seen a little bit of fallout everywhere. In Legacy, this was on City of Traders. That was $250 Saturday morning, Eastern Standard. Yeah. Uh, I believe Phoenix is on its way to the moon right now. Yeah, that uh, was... for quite a while yep. now. I mean, it, it, it won all three events this weekend at Star City, both of the Classics and the Open. So yeah. it was insane. This is a card that I thought would just kind of maintain a $30 price tag. I wouldn't be surprised to see it at 50 shortly if it continues to dominate in Modern. Uh, yeah. I believe today on Star City, Patrick Chapin has an article out titled, Is Arclight Phoenix the Best Creature in Modern? And yep. Ari Lax has a, a recap of Modern from Baltimore that also covers Phoenix heavily, so there are a lot of eyes on this card, and if you don't have them, you gotta get in soon before this card just goes. Yeah, if you're trying to get anything on it at all, you yeah. get it now. Yep. And aside from that, standard is standard. Everything is kind of par for the course. The popularity of Midnight Reaper is just going to bring the price up on that card. Selesnya Tokens is very much the same deck that we saw coming out of the Pro Tour, so you can look at any copy of that list and you're going to get the same Tristani, Amara that you will across the board, Marginal yeah. Multitudes. But seeing it in the top eight puts kind of a spotlight on some of these cards, so if you were thinking that you might play the deck come either the New Year or after Legions of Rav, you should be moving on, moving in on these cards as soon as you can. Yeah. Especially the Tristanis. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's been one that's probably been undervalued because even for EDH play, it's got a ton of potential there. Oh, absolutely. So. I like Amara as well. Uh, as an EDH yeah. card, it goes well in just green-white decks, especially with Seedborn Muse and something like uh, Paradise Mantle where you just have a reason, give it a reason to tap itself and start making creatures. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just good in the tokens deck. And then, coming out of that, this morning we had the Hasbro announcement, which, to me as a layperson, reading through an announcement that basically said, we're going to be cutting product from...
from our store and sending it through our big box retail was par yeah. for the course for this kind of announcement. It's something that I had expected, but I don't understand the full fallout because I don't have a brick and mortar. I don't know, you know, what what the boxes mean to a store, and this is something that I'm interested to learn about. Yeah, so the announcement is basically, you know, we've, this, this is what it says. At Hasbro, we strive to provide our customers the best possible experience with our portfolio brands. As a valued customer, we wanted to let you know that our brand websites have changed and will no longer sell products directly. So what this means is you're not gonna be able to get your SDCC restocks mm -hmm. through the Hasbro toy shop site. You're not gonna be able to get Mythic Edition through the Hasbro toy shop site. Uh, their you know, big portfolio basically means your Walmarts, your Amazons, and they specifically mention in recent months, Walmart's been an authorized seller of Wizards of the Coast product. They also have the Amazon Hasbro hub. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is that Walmart actually has old sealed product on their website now. Yes. Uh, like old From the Vaults, old booster boxes, all kinds of stuff that just has been out of print for a while. So the big thing here is that this basically, you know, if, if you were an LGS and you were lucky enough to get one of the Mythic Edition boxes or one of the SDCC sets, you could actually get people in the door with that as a prize. Mm -hmm. That could be the only prize for an event, and people would come in for it. Yep. And now that's not as likely because you're not competing, you know, you're, you're competing with Walmart, which has, Walmart.com has way more accessibility than the Hasbro toy shop. Oh, 100%. So yeah. grandma and grandpa that just know little Johnny likes magic may see it pop up on the website and be like, okay, I'll get this for him for Christmas or something. And that accessibility is kind of gone now because it actually does reach a broader audience. It's mm -hmm. not just going to be on Magic TCG or MTG Finance, the subreddits that, hey, sale is live. It's going to be all over the internet. Yep. The other thing is this, this provides a huge advantage to people that are able to effectively arbitrage like the SDCC sets or the Mythic Editions over to Europe, which has been the driving market for the SDCC sets for a while because they usually do... San Diego Comic-Con, obviously. Mm -hmm. They sell on Hasbro Toy Shop, which only ships to the States. And then they occasionally release them at some toy cons in China. Now, the big problem there is what's the one continent left out of that? Europe. So if this doesn't coincide with an increase in supply, if this only coincides with an increase in visibility, people who have the ability to arbitrage that stuff over to Europe are at a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Because they can just pull a script up, run a script, buy all the copies they can, virtualize their credit cards to get 10 different ones to 10 email addresses to 10 PO boxes. Mm -hmm. It won't get flagged at all. And then all of a sudden, boom, they can tri triple or quadruple up without a problem. So this is going to be really interesting, I think, because at first it doesn't seem all that bad for LGSs. And I'm honestly not sure that it is. Okay. But it could end up having like a huge fallout because all of a sudden you don't have access to this. You have to be a channel fireball yeah. to get extra copies of this. And if you're not, you're just out of luck. Mm -hmm. So it sort of, you know, goes back to the, we're not trying to screw the little guy, but we're going to get rid of direct sales 
mm-hmm. which means the price on wholesale is going to go up because we're increasing the MSRP. We're going to get rid of all these programs that, admittedly, they're just cutting labor costs. But in the end, it makes it a little bit harder on an LGS because you used to be able to get a box for 74 wholesale, now you're paying 82, which doesn't seem like a whole lot. But when you buy 36 boxes... It adds up. Every single set release, yeah, yeah. it adds up. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this pans out. But it, me personally, I don't think there's a huge impact on the stores because not being able to get people to those events is kind of minimal. Mm-hmm. And the big thing is this affects, to me, the players more than anything, which kind of sucks. But at the end of the day, Wizards is going to make their money. Hasbro's going to make theirs. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's what they care about. Yeah, bottom line. Yeah. As a player, I don't really buy boxes to crack packs to find cards now that my LGS is... uh, basically got rid of singles because they don't have the labor to keep up with pricing and they went back to their tabletop and board game model. I buy a box each set release to support the store. Yeah. So one of the questions I have is if I can buy this box through Walmart or through Amazon, I know it's going to be cheaper, but what does my LGS get now to try and move Nothing. those boxes? Yeah. Unless they Nothing. continue to get the buy a box promos, which I I guess that program's still going. Yeah, they haven't I mean, to stop. Yeah, they they haven't. Now we have box toppers, so it may be. I I wouldn't be surprised if pending UMA sales and how well box toppers do, mm-hmm. they decide okay, we're just going to do box toppers from now on. They're not masterpieces, guys. They're yeah. done with masterpieces for the foreseeable future. They're box toppers. They're box toppers this time. <laughs> That's the silliest thing. Yeah. Okay, and the reason why this wouldn't necessarily affect a lot of stores, even ones that are stood up on vertical on a vertical or two, like Magic, is because stores like that shouldn't be relying on the sale of boxes, correct? That's correct. So I, boxes are just such a low-margin item for stores. Mm-hmm. So, you know, especially if you're a store that also happens to sell on TCG Player. By and large, your cases are going to be $600 when you're selling them to people in store. Mm -hmm. So if you're paying $84 a box, all right, presumably you're paying a salaried employee to go pick that stuff up from Southern, so it's not a big deal. But if you have to list those, you're paying someone their hourly rate to list them, even if it only breaks down to like $0.90 to a dollar that you end up paying to list all those boxes, that does add to your overhead. Mm -hmm. Then you got to factor in, okay, we've got rent on this building. And it ends up being like a $100 box makes you 3 bucks. Yeah. So places that rely on this, that are the mom and pop, just genuine, true, mid-level LGS stores, aren't really affected by this. The ones that are affected are the ones that are the high-level LGS that aren't on the channel fireball level. Mm-hmm. They're a couple steps below. They're like the chains that just happen to have a few locations. Uh, for example, the Gaming Goat. And Chicago is a big one. They've got, you know, 12, 13, 14 stores throughout the greater Chicago metropolitan area. They might be hit by this because they could actually use that to leverage attendance to events because their reach was large enough. Yeah. Granted, it's not going to be huge. It's going to be like 200 bucks. So I don't think it's that big a deal for LGSs because, like you said, they don't rely on that. They don't rely on box sales. It's singles. But... Or they shouldn't it's, be relying on box sales. Yeah. Correct, yes. Okay. 
I mean, the other thing about boxes is you need to get rid of them because they take up space. Yeah. You mentioned rent, and if you extrapolate that out to the spaces you put, or the space that you put those boxes in, they're just eating costs sitting there. So you need to price them. You know, they got to move. You got to move them somewhere. Yeah, you've got to price them aggressively. You can't afford to sit on, you know, a box of Guilds of Ravnica for a hundred and twenty bucks and wait for the price to catch up anymore. Yeah. It so doesn't happen. When they go direct through Walmart or Amazon, and you look at in the future let's say, once this is on Amazon, what do you think the seller for this is going to to be? Is it going to be Hasbro? Are they on Amazon yet? So uh, there are boxes that are fulfilled by Wizards of the Coast, and there are boxes on Amazon that are fulfilled by Walmart. Okay. Wizards of the Coast is like two cents cheaper than the ones fulfilled by Walmart. Yeah, hoody-ho. Yeah, okay, it's two cents. Yeah. But, it, you know, at the end of the day... It, I think they're able to save a lot of money by offsetting these labor costs to Walmart or Amazon. And I think that while they'll be fulfilling it, I'm hopeful that it's not going to be their primary model going forward. Obviously, for these products it is, but for the larger print run stuff, I'm hoping that this doesn't lead to, well, forget the LGSs. Yeah. Now, something we haven't touched on is do you think Distro will be affected? So, Southern Hobby, Black, well, Black Diamond is comics, but... Yeah, uh, GTS, yeah. Alliance, all that That's stuff. That's what I was thinking. You know, honestly, I don't know. Because they were hit by the loss, the loss of the direct program. Supposedly, mm-hmm. their cost went up per box when that happened. Uh, and if that's the case, it may be that they could potentially be affected by Fallout. Okay. So say this doesn't do as well as Wizards wants it to. Okay. Well, they may try to recoup some of those costs by passing them along to distros and saying so either, hey, we're going to increase your prices or you can order these items at a surcharge over what they were charging Amazon or Walmart, basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that, you know, similar to gasoline, that infrastructure is so entrenched it's not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm hoping that's what happens with distros. Yeah, I, understandable. The one thing I'm, I, I'm also a little curious about, and this is kind of a deeper knowledge of distro, and one I don't think either of us have, only a few do, is when it comes time to just liquidate sets, so Dragon's Maze, for instance, you had people out there who just have infinite space and want backstock sealed of any set they can for no for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, people down in Florida. And... <laughs> they will reach out to distro and say, I will buy everything below the cost you're looking for, but I'll buy it all. And if yeah. distro is not getting that, that doesn't become a sustainable model anymore. You can't, do you think you can have these people who just sit on this back catalog of sealed once this happens because they're able to reach out to the distro for liquidation? I think, you know, there's actually one of the guys that we offload bulk to mm-hmm. uh, for Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! specifically does specifically liquidation sales. Okay. And those aren't going anywhere, even after Toys R Us is gone. So I think that that model will still be viable. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be fewer people eating, though, because okay. Walmart has their people already that they use for stuff. Yeah. Amazon has their people already that they use for stuff. So rather than, you know, a hundred people out there buying it up from all these different distributors, you're probably going to have like 15 mm-hmm. 
that are going to do it, and they're going to be the ones that Amazon and Walmart already liquidate to. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't really know much about Amazon liquidation, but if these boxes are FBA and you're looking at prime shipping, I don't even know if they'll liquidate from the warehouse if these things move over time. I don't know that that model. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that they necessarily will either. I, their warehouse is basically, you know, 100 miles underground of Washington. I'm pretty sure it's just going to float away and be an Amazon warehouse before too long. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> no, but it's definitely interesting because this is an announcement that affects the players in the in the sense that people who want to buy boxes to draft on their own to crack packs for cards because they just like it can now get product cheaper than they have almost ever before. Buying yeah. close to MSRP at set release is kind of a thing of the past, at least not of this recent price increase, but like yeah. two before that, somewhere around like New Phyrexia, it became very difficult to find anything close to set release at MSRP anymore. Yeah, so it just wasn't possible. Yeah, so from... From my standpoint, what's interesting about this is what's going to happen to the player base and how this affects them. Are we going to see an increase of cards in the market? Will it be you know, marginal and not really affect prices moving forward? Or will we just see an, a huge flood because they're able yeah. to go distro direct and you know, somebody who's only able to buy one box at set release because their store charged 120 something after tax might now buy two because for $40 more they can get a prime shift. Yeah. You know? And then it's just their release day, so... Yeah. 10 a.m., I wake up to boxes. Yeah. And, and to me, that that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, we have a little bit of time left, and I think we can actually get a little bit of some of the graded card stuff in. All right. And this is something that we've touched on briefly before. A few of us own a handful of graded cards. I don't think any of us is really deep in... To that market, yeah, you're. I've got my shatters over here. Yeah, and I think there's just one question we really want to start with now before we dedicate to the topic, and it's kind of a broad one. If you picked up a card, let's say it was a piece of power, regardless of condition, why would you get it graded? I think the biggest thing there is for authenticity, especially for the higher-end reserve list stuff. Uh, the authentication process is part of what BGS does, and especially after they switch to their now current cases, uh, two cases ago the adhesive they used could just be dissolved with vinegar and a cotton swab, which obviously not great. Yeah. Uh, but authentication being part of the process is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, it's everyone hears about how fakes are getting better. Some people can tell, some people can't. Some people that have been doing this for years have problems telling from the newest generation of fakes. And BGS, that's part of their process. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge boon. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. I think authenticity is huge, especially if you're not entirely sure what to look for when you're uh, looping, you're doing a light test, you're looking for the L and the green dot, the rosé patterns, you know, what to look for on a Lotus. Yeah. Um, authenticity is huge. And no matter how you step through this process for authenticity, be it yourself or grading, somebody will always say, yeah, well, there was that one Snapcaster mage that did make it through. But that's a drop in the ocean of, yeah. of any type of card that's made it through the process. Sports cards, magic cards, anything that BGS grades, 
Like this is just one of however many millions of cards that have that have come through, or maybe you know, a, we're talking a fraction of a percent here. Yeah, that have actually made it through. Yeah, and uh, I guess kind of a follow up to that is. Is the process for grading still manual? So when you send your cards in, it's an it's an individual human that's going to be authenticating this. Yes, it is still an individual human, which is one of the reasons, you know, you'll see unreliable unreliable pop reports because it's one person doing it. You don't like the grade, take it out, send it back. Mm -hmm. I will say they do now have a standardized like numerical system that they use, from my understanding. Mm -hmm. Like you're centering on a magic card, they have the exact range that it can be measured to get a certain centering grade. But you can still miss stuff. Yeah. Surface, edges, those don't really have numerical values or determinate ways to figure out what it is. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's still a manual process. It is so manual, in fact, that you can't even fill out the grading form online. You have to print it out and include it in the package. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. So, when you're look when you're looking at a card that's been graded, or maybe looking at one you own that you're thinking about grading, does a price bump ever come into consideration as a reason to get a card graded, or a reason why you would pick up a card that has been graded? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is, you know, a lot of a lot of people think besides authenticity, they want to get a card graded to add the value mm -hmm. because you have now a 30, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 40% up on the card. Like that Lotus oh, that yeah. sold for 85 grand. Okay. Ungraded that Lotus is 20 grand. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's 85. And there's, there's definitely a part of that that factors into it. And I think it is with the rarer cards that you have that, like your reserve list, Antiquities, Arabian Nights, Alpha Beta Unlimited, yeah. uh, Summer Magic, Edgar, whichever you prefer, uh, Guru Lands, even graded Guru Lands. Yeah, it's one of those, those things. Yeah, they're just, they're so rare that having that grade on there, well, I may, there may be 100,000 Guru Islands out there, but I have the only Quad 10. Well, all of a sudden, this quad ten went from being a four hundred dollar card to potentially having another zero on it. Mm -hmm. So, I try to keep in mind a price bump when I do it, especially because it's not cheap. Uh, the about a month and a half ago, I sent out a Nether Void, a Chains, and an Abyss to get graded. Mm -hmm. It was thirty dollars a card, plus shipping and a processing fee of twenty dollars. Total so, or each up, for the twenty? So it was. The the twenty was total. Okay. The thirty was each. Each, yeah. But it still ended up being like a hundred dollars mm -hmm. to send those three cards off to get graded. So it's definitely something that at least I take into account. I don't know if you know with your shatters, if you were like, yeah, that's gonna take into account. But for me, it definitely is. Yeah. I to be fair, I like the reason I bought these guys. If I can find them. Yeah, my duels. <laughs> In my wookie. Uh, yeah, I bought an eight and a nine because they were the only ones available. Oh yeah. At the time, yeah. I bought That's them right. to relist them to basically shake out of the trees any other graded shatters onto the market at a price point I was looking for. This is like very goal oriented. Yeah, I did this. Like otherwise, I would That's never. 
Personally, if I were going to pick up a graded card, because I thought there was going to be a price bump on it, it never would be an 8. Never, never, never. The 9, however, generally can pull a bump. 9.5 is where you start seeing the, a much larger increase. Yeah. yeah. And while the uh, this market is still niche, you think, oh, it might be easy to get rid of a 7 or an 8. Yeah, but sometimes people actually will ask you for less than those cards are worth at a light play condition because it's a 7. It graded yeah. a 7. That's 70%. Yeah. So obviously that's Sorry. worse than like yeah, worse than LP. Yeah. I, and you know, it's one of those things that the only time that's not necessarily the case is still power. Yeah. Uh, which again, pretty much every MTG finance rule is different for power than it is for everything else. Like graded revised duels don't really fetch that much of a premium. No, there are because there are a ton of them. Yeah, there there's are, just so many. Yeah. And I guess the last last part of this question, when thinking about grading a card, or why you would, was there any reason why you would ever grade a modern era card, so anything from 8th edition, or Mirrodin forward? Is it 8th or Mirrodin? Whatever started modern. Forward? I, I wouldn't, know. I, the print runs are so high, it's mm -hmm. not reserved list. Uh, I may make a few exceptions, like foil, future sight, tarmogoyf. Yep. That's what something, I was some, about. Yeah, something that's already in the you know four to five hundred dollar plus range. Yeah. And is some type of niche that's not going to get reprinted or something so, like that. And honestly, even stuff like right before that, unless it was a seventh edition foil, like I can't imagine even like a foil food chain getting that graded. Yeah. I'd get a seventh edition foil graded before that. But yeah, it's it's just. I I wouldn't. Nope. I, man, I I think that's a perf perfectly good reasoning. I I agree a hundred percent again. I would think about even before uh, future sight goifs. I would look to cards that are never going to drop. So that uh, the foil Russian chase the mind sculptors from Worldwake. Oh yeah. Keep floating around as a set. Yep. I think you can grade those at a six. That's like you'd still see. The same price on those cards if they graded an eight or higher it's probably ridiculous yeah i'm sure but all right so we're gonna save the rest of the the part one for graded cards for when we can dedicate a little more time to this uh, but before we actually head out we did have a question from twitter uh lucinda right. the lucid asks how do we evaluate cards to know what to spec on how do we decide if it's a long-term hold or a short-term hold and is a secret to successful specking the buy-in cost? Huh. That so, last part especially is choice. Yeah. Um, so we can go through this in steps because it's really three questions in one. Yeah. How do you evaluate a card to spec on? So something you're going to move in in quantity. So something I'm going to move in in quantity, it's first off, how unique is the effect? Mm-hmm. How playable is it or its colors? How far is it away from being absolutely busted in half? Mm -hmm. So, for example, Wargate. For a yep. long time, I was going super deep on Wargate because I'm, this is literally one card from being absolutely busted in half broken. If I can pick them up for less than $2, sure, I'll take it. 
Uh, worst case, I can maybe buy listed for a dollar one day and only be out half of my money. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my go-to, which unfortunately does require a little bit of format knowledge or insight. Um, but that's usually my process for trying to pick one out. Okay. Those, those are the three big ones I ask. And so it sounds like with Wargate, you kind of relegated it to being a long-term hold. Yeah. Because you were waiting on something to pick up. There was nothing immediate. It was just, this will happen at some point. Yeah. And then for like the midterm ones, like when I called to Kotli Honor Guard or Death Gorge Scavenger uh, in this, it's like, well, this is something that's a reaction to the current metagame. So this mm-hmm. is more of, you know, a pump and dump scenario. Yep. This is a much more, let's go in deep on quantity quick, get them here, buy list them right away, or put them on TCG, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's part of the... Is, is it something that's a card away from being busted in half, or is it a metagame reaction? Okay. Because if it's a meta reaction, it's a little bit faster. Yep. If it's something that's just a card away from being busted in half, well, I know I'm going to be sitting on that for a while, and that's fine. Like, Sarkin's unsealing. I yeah. said that's a year to two. Because it is. Probably a year to two from... Not even being busted in half, but just being good. It could be sooner. Uh, Riley Knight and the Arena Boys, I believe, played it last week or the week before. I saw. In Naya Dinosaurs, which was a hilarious video. If you haven't seen it, that series is actually pretty good. Yeah. They played all-in dredge this week with Phoenix and 24 oh. somebody in a turn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was good. And so, uh, in regards to cost... Does that figure in? Yeah. So, you know, like the other week I said Time Vault was a long-term. That's one that mm-hmm. I'm not going to go nearly as deep based on cost. But if it's something that, you know, if it's a penny stock, if it's a quarter or less, if I can get a 1,000 of them, I'll get a 1,000 of them. Yep. But I'm not looking to spend, you know, $1,000 on a card that's a quarter. But okay. I'll spend 1000 on two cards that are 500 a lot more easily. So I think yeah. the cost is a factor, but only in terms of quantity. Uh, you know, last week when we were talking about, or the week before when we were talking about failed specs and I had all those grim feasts up. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, they were all a dollar or less, so I've got like 200 of them. Yep. It's fine. Nope. I understand that. Uh, now, for me, I evaluate cards uh, for immediacy and long-term. I don't like working in the the mid, not because I'll forget about things, but just because I move a lot of things around and I'll often forget to keep checking in on price of my specs. It's not something I look at daily, but I should. I like the longer-term things so I can check in every now and again. Like I have, I'll put stuff on my Echo MTG account and just watch it over time. Yeah. And when I'm looking at cards for the short term, I want something that I understand why it's going to be good. I -hmm. can understand why it's going to pop and I can defend it in conversation. Yeah. And once it kind of fills uh, all those, uh, those boxes, then I'll move in on something for a longer term hold. I will look at something that has a unique effect and that in and of itself is just busted if I'm going to move in on quantity. 
So Sunbirds Invocation is a good example of that. I'm still sitting on almost 200 of them because that... <laughs> I don't think is the way they print that product or print that card in anything but a commander set moving forward. And there's no way it isn't going to make me money in the long run. People are going to realize yeah. that card's good in EDH. And I believe, much like Panharmonicon, the foils started yeah. at a really high price because people <clears throat> saw how good it would be in EDH. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time before the non-foils catch up. Yep. In determining whether or not a card is going to be a short or long-term hold, I'll, again, look at what it's doing, what it can do, and what type of card it is. So reserve list for me is always long-term. It's just going to keep growing, and I'll check out of that whenever I want. Yeah. Um, something that kind of sits in an interesting place is Expansion Explosion. Uh, I moved in on those at a quarter each. I told people to go in on the first weekend. It was legal on Moto. And I was talking to somebody about it today. They asked me if I got out because CK Bialis is down to 36. And I could fulfill CK Bialis all day, every day at 36 cents. But that's not my goal with the card. Yeah. I let people pump and dump a small number of those cards because I knew that would bring Bialis value down because of the way standard is right now. We don't have Hollow Fountain. Hollow Fountain allows us to play Expansion Explosion and Settle the Wreckage in the same deck. Yep. So that was my response again when somebody asked. And I'm, I believe I said that when I called the card originally in this cast. Was when we get Hollowed Fountain, that is when I'm going to start looking to out those cards. After yep. that, it's a long-term hold for EDH because it is the Is It Sphinx's Revelation. And it's just going to be a good EDH card to forever. And getting out at a dollar or two dollars is perfectly fine. Yeah. And in regards to price as to whether or not it's going to be a success, uh, that's a, a little tricky for me. There's definitely some standard cards I would move in on based on price because it's low enough, but I don't believe in the card itself. Uh, one of those was Bounty of Luxa. I would have moved in on quantity because the price was right. Yeah. If it had... Pr if it had proven itself in standard or was going to prove itself, but that format was not ready for Bounty of Luxa outside of the one weekend that performed well. Yeah. So I am sitting on a few. It's a long-term hold, but I'm not sitting on huge quantity. Conversely, when it comes to expensive items, you and I are very much the same. Yeah. I will pick up exp uh, large, if you want to call them more expensive, or dear if you're from the UK, uh, <laughs> reserve list cards that have a proven track record. Uh, when they printed Arcady, Arcades, he's the the Bant general now from Dominaria, yeah. the Bant Dragon, right? Yep. The first thing I did was I hit uh, the reserve list and looked for the only wall on it, which I found in Wall of Kelp. And I could have pumped and dumped the crap out of that, but I didn't want to because I didn't believe that card had staying power. Yeah. But I'll buy all the Mox Diamonds I see. Because that card has been good in every format Forever. you can play it. Yeah. And there's no way that card just doesn't keep going up. Especially if we just saw traditional lands win a GP. That card was 4x. It's yep. just going to go up. So, to me, I evaluate things differently based on short, long term. And whether it's something for standard or something that's going to be reserve list. That's fair. And with that, I think we can move into picks and then call it a podcast. Sounds good. So I'd actually like to go first because I called shot on this one and 
you did. Uh, I, so a couple weeks ago, I said I believed in graveyard hate for modern, and I still do. But I hadn't decided on what I liked. And originally it was going to be Rest in Peace, and this is after they announced the reprint. And I still think that is the premium piece of graveyard hate for most decks that can play it. The one I believe in more is Yixlid Jailer from Future Sight. It has one and a half printings because I got an FNM promo. Yeah. And I don't believe in the non-foil version. It has been the same 30 cents it has been since it rotated out of standard. What yeah. I believe in is the FNM price. And the reason for this is that if you were to take a look at the foil trend chart, which I will bring up, you will see the card doubles almost immediately uh, before Amonkhet releases. It goes from a $3 foil to a 850 then it quads right before Hour of Devastation, and then it just kind of rides itself out at about 8. And yeah. right around there is when we got Cathartic Reunion. So somebody realized That's that this good. was good against Dredge. And... You know what's really good in Modern right now? Dredge. Dredge, yeah, and Phoenix. And Phoenix, it turns out. Now, the problem with this card is that the creature types are largely irrelevant. It's a zombie wizard. So casting it off the lands and humans is a little hard, but you can vial it in. The price for the FNM promo of the buck fifty, it's been since again, about hour of devastation, is the card that I believe in. I think this might be relevant in Legacy, especially with Shizuoka having a number of Lily Last Hopes main deck across that format. Zombie is relevant, that card does ultimate this kind of works with it yeah but i think we're going to see a number of decks or at least a number of people experiment with the excellent jailer in the future people that realize that they may not need their graveyard or they're just creature based decks like humans and we're going yeah. to see this start to pop up and at a dollar fifty entry it shouldn't be that right. hard to see some kind of increase on this even if you just trade it away for what you bought in at you know this is still a good card eminently playable yeah yeah uh, touching on that Lily, the last hope for me. So it's seeing increasing play in modern. It's seeing increasing play in legacy. It was not printed in Ultimate Masters. We only have basically one and two half printings of the okay. card. And I think if they continue to stay away from reprinting it in about a year, it'll be where last hope was before okay. it got reprinted. Uh, it's granted it's not going to be a four of, but it'll certainly yeah. be a two to three of, I think. And I could easily see right now it's in the thirty to forty dollar range. I could easily see it hitting the sixty to seventy range. Yeah. Uh, it's super playable. It's really good. It basically reads suspend four, win the game against a lot of decks in modern, mm -hmm. and low print run of a set that had perfect mapping. So all That's of the right. ones that were there out of the first like two or three print runs immediately flooded the market and then they just stopped existing mm -hmm. until people had to crack packs. And I know I've seen at a couple of the stores around here, there's a ton of Eldritch Moon sealed sitting around. So Yeah, people don't like that set. I don't I know why. That. I mean, I guess there's a ton of value in the Mythics and not much else, but, yeah. you know, it, 
I think that card is insane. Yeah. Something that's interesting, I just pulled up the SDCC promo. Mm -hmm. That said, it still sits at about 150, and it, it has been around there since Dominaria release. But yeah. the foil, the set foil is trending up and up and up towards it. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. The last market capture that MTG Stocks has has them about $20 apart, which is pretty interesting. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize the foils had taken off that much. Yeah, the SCCC art for this isn't that bad either it, because it's no. not one of the, the super gimmicky ones. Or if it was, they left Lily alone because the rest are zombies. Is that yeah. this one? Yeah. So... I, I think that's a really good call. This is one of those high barrier to entry specs. You know, if yeah. you think you're ever going to play this card, buy four. Yeah, know? it's also way easier to move as a playset than one or two. Yeah. So I, it's one of those cards that you know, very similar to a lot of foils. I think, just always buy four because it's easier to move as a playset than less than. Yeah, and even if you're a modern player and event and can't find anybody to out this to, find yourself a legacy player. Because this is one of the premier cards in Grixis Control. Yeah, I mean, there you, are not a whole lot of decks that can interact with it in Legacy at all. No, I, I don't remember the tracking on four-color control that well in regards to what the 75 looked like. I don't think Lily was in that because the mono was too tight for a double black spell. Yeah, you needed double blue for Jace. Yeah, so Grixis Control was running it, or Grixis Pyromancer, I believe, was also running it, and it was a good yeah. answer to that deck as well, so playing into the main became a thing. Mm -hmm. And with it, the snapshot of the format, the way we... Or is what it is coming out of Shizuoka, you can reliably say that you're going to see this card played most likely against you. Yeah. And there's always going to be demand for it because of that, until Legacy sees another shakeup. Yeah. So, I think it's, it's a really good call. But well, with that's that, it for us, guys. Yeah, we have been uh, the MTG Cabalcast. You can find me on Twitter at HaltIMReptar. I am You're... at Thirsty Sizzler still. Yep, and if you want to reach out to us, you can send uh, send us a tweet at either of our handles, or you could tweet at MTG Cabalcast in general, and we will get to your tweets as seen here today. Yep, thanks very much, guys. Have a good one.